Welcome to News in Context. I'm Gina Valeria. In this episode, we explore how journalists experience trauma and manage or fail to manage the stressors that are inherent to the job. My guest is Misha LeClaire, a former Bay Area TV news producer who decided to switch careers as an act of self-care, walking away from a profession she had dedicated nearly 20 years to after realizing she was being negatively impacted by the cumulative trauma of covering major news stories and the stressors of a sometimes toxic work environment. Before we begin our interview, I want to give a trigger warning. Misha and I begin our conversation by discussing in depth the police killing of Oscar Grant at Bart's Fruitvale Station on New Year's morning 2009. This discussion may be upsetting to some listeners. So Oscar Grant, talk a little bit about how that went down when you were working and how you processed it. So Oscar Grant, so I was working that weekend. It was a holiday weekend. I always worked almost all the holidays. When I came in the next morning and we knew that he had died and we were like the first crew there because we had a guy who chased, you know, the scanners. And so when he got there and BART police were like, oh, not a big deal. He was like, no, this is a big deal. Like I saw him on the gurney. He's not living. And then we you know, of course he dies. And then video starts kind of coming out from people's cell phones, but the video is all like really like hard to tell. Like it's obviously like a chaotic scene, but you know, it's hard to say who's bad behavior necessarily in those initial videos. And police were just like, they were resisting arrest and they were fighting on the train and kind of these blanket statements and very little. Right. So then we had this guy show up who he just showed up and he chose us and he said, I have video and you can see him die. And he said, you know, I want you all to air it. There was only a few of us there, right? It's the weekend. And so my news director came in when we found out this guy was coming and he decided that the right thing to do would be to have all of us watch it together. So it wasn't any one person making the decision. He didn't make anyone watch who didn't want to obviously, but, um, and some people didn't. Um, but we watched it with the guy there. So I remember the first time watching, we were like, you know, there's definitely that moment of like stunned, like, oh my God, because it was very clear. It was very clear that he was already pinned on the ground. It was very clear that he was shot in the back. You know, he's like right there. And so it was pretty stunning. And, you know, you hear everybody's reaction. There's a full BART train of people reacting. It's pretty crazy. You know, I think like very quickly, you're like, instinctual emotion reaction kind of gets like turned down, right? Like you have that kind of like, oh my God, you know, what just happened? And that's, you know, what, why was he shot? And you can clearly see that he's being shot, but he's also pinned down and then you kind of have to move on. And so then it becomes like, okay, we're backing up the video and we're like scrutinizing it more and, you know, pausing it and where are people's hands and you know, all that kind of stuff. And is the shot really clear? And then, you know, transitions into the debate about like handling it responsibly. What can we show? What can we not show? What do we say we saw in the video versus airing and like what times of day and what kind of warnings and ultimately, you know, especially because so commonly the police just say they're resisting arrest and it's like this blanket, whatever. We felt it was really important to show it. And as I recall, we showed it once. 
we gave an explicit warning. I can't remember if we waited till the 10 o'clock or if we aired it in the earlier shows, but the first airing was we showed it. And then after that rule was you had to stop the video and you could air the audio of the gunshot, but you had to stop the video. So we weren't like repeatedly showing this guy getting killed. Right. And it was really important. It was, I think there's such a sense of responsibility in those moments that even like you're watching uh, something pretty horrific happen um, that you feel like a sense of responsibility to like tell the whole story and not just take what people tell you as truth, right? Like that kind of trust, but verify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we definitely felt the weight of like, there are so many times where people get shot in a confrontation with police and we don't really know what happens and we're not there that this time it was like, you can see what happens. And so like, we can't just like not address this, you know, you can't just not. So, but yeah. And then it becomes like, just very much like doing the business of the work. And um, so then when the Fruitvale movie came out, you know, and it was very like critically acclaimed, I didn't watch it until a couple of years ago when I was long out of news. I just wasn't sure that I could, they would want to see that moment again, even though it was like, I knew it was going to be fictional because I saw the moment, you know, and a lot of people didn't. Right. And so there's a difference between like seeing somebody's life get taken away and seeing like just the chaos around it. I had a similar reaction to the, all the nine 11 movies that came out. I couldn't watch them. I don't think I ever did. Yeah. I couldn't watch them. Oh, see, and I watched, all, I consume some of that stuff. I really consume, but yeah, like that one, um, for, I, I think it was because I, I knew that that was going to be hard to see that moment. So that one I didn't. Um, I remember when Sandy Hook happened, there happened to be a Glee episode or something about a school shooting. And I didn't watch that for like a week or so. Um, Sandy Hook, I was on for hours and hours and hours with, it was just me, obviously the crew in the booth, but Frank Somerville. And Frank and I were just like, what is happening right now? You know, it was just so intense. And, and I remember I didn't watch wherever the Glee episode was for a little bit. And then I ended up watching it late at night alone and just cried because it's just so sad, you know, what happens to kids. And Sandy Hook was particularly rough because of the ages of the kids, right? And it was early. Nobody knew, like there were no strategies. There were no drills yet, right? Um, so it was pretty much like a shattering of like that this could even happen. But yeah, the Oscar grant wasn't particularly one that like I kind of couldn't go there for a bit, you know, I didn't even realize it for a while, you know? Yeah, I just didn't even think about it. And then um, I bought the movie at some point. It was like, I really want to watch this. But it, and then it took me a little bit to actually sit down and watch it. When did you actually kind of realize that you were so affected by it? Journalists are notorious for not realizing how hard it is until they leave. When you leave and you take a look back, you're like, holy cow. Like, you just power through so much stuff that like the normal person doesn't power through. Exactly. For me, the moment you described was Columbine, like when I was in Sacramento when that happened. And I remember actually, I really had a desire to quit and go counsel the kids. Like I had a desire to quit and fly to Colorado and just be there, be there with the kids. I want to go back to the point you were talking about. Um, you saw the video the Oscar, and then you responded, but then 
then you do the thing of like, yeah. So you get into journalistic mode where you start to get clinical about it. Yeah. Right? You have to get clinical about it. Clinical is a good word because you have to think about what to show the public. Yeah. And that can, at least in the moment, divorce you or put a wall up between your response or your emotional reaction and feelings you have versus the job that needs to be done, which has to happen. Yeah. But how do you feel like that journalistic necessity? How do you feel that that affected you in, in your work and in your decisions? So definitely like I came into journalism with a bit of life, life experience growing up of shutting down emotions. And so I had already kind of like some unbeknownst to me training and like shutting it down. Um, and so then when you go into journalism, like it made it that much easier to do it. And you can't, like, you would be a mess all the time if you felt all the feelings about all the stuff that happens. You just would. I don't think that you can necessarily perform the job if you're always really feeling all the things. I think that there has to be an outlet. And that's definitely something that I didn't have uh, or realize I needed until later. I think that's changing. And that's great. But, you know, four and a half, five years ago when I was in the newsroom, that was that was not even a discussion. So yeah, like you just, you shut it off. You just don't feel it. You turn it off and you know, it comes out somewhere. It just comes out in unhealthy ways, right? You see a lot of journalists drinking a lot. You see, you see even just in the newsroom that we're really rude to each other. We could be very aggressive. We could be very mean. We make really irreverent and awful jokes a lot because like it has to come out somewhere it just does. Then when you kind of go through whatever your process is to start learning how to feel feelings again, I always joke, it's really messy when you've spent years and years teaching yourself to not feel things. Then all of a sudden you're trying to let yourself feel things. It is an absolute mess. It's not a healthy cycle at all. And so you definitely have to find like outlets and ways. The Sarah Seidner case this week is like a really good one where it's like, it just overwhelmed her. And Thank God people are like realizing that like journalists are humans too, but like it's too much, right? Like it's too much, you know? Um, and she's been covering, you know, she was covering Ferguson and then George Floyd. And now she's like at COVID hospitals. It's like at some point, everybody gets overloaded, you know? And journalists take on more than their fair share. And they take on we and they take on more than their fair share because you know, we want to inform the public. You want to let people know what's going on. You want to try to help people understand. And that's part of the gig. But yeah, but you're so right that we weren't talking about that. No. It's really important to bring up the the unhealthy habits yeah. thing, like the drinking, right. the eating, the the way we treat each other. And we all do it and we all laugh about it, right? Like when you see people are rude to each other, we laugh about it. We think it's it's like we I don't know if we enjoy it, but we enjoy it, right? Because it's a release. Well, there's a sense of pride. Yeah. It's not just that it's a toxic work environment. It's that there's a sense of pride when you can hold your own in that toxic work environment. It's like celebrated. Um, the crazier the situation you've been in and like dealt with, like the better. I've had people throw things in the control room. I've had people scream in my face, you. I've had, and it's all okay. None of it's reprimanded. None of it's a problem. It's all completely acceptable. There was a guy I worked with. He like pulled a phone out of the out of the live truck, and everyone's like, "Ah, that's just him." 
you know, and it's just like, that's what he does. Yeah. And I don't know about you. I mean, maybe you don't feel this way, but like as much as all that, I still miss it. The ideal or the camaraderie or that. Yeah. There's a culture. There's a culture of journalism. Of It's not just a career. It's a culture. Yes. All that negative stuff you describe. I'm like, but I really loved that, even though I can see that it's toxic. I don't miss it because ultimately I realized just how injurious it was to me. But definitely like when you're in it, it's such an important job the call is really high. Yes, there's a lot of ego and attainment and you can get a lot of recognition, these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, you're serving the public and like without us, a lot of things can go really, really wrong for communities, for countries, for democracy, for all these kinds of things. You know, when that thing came out about like journalists always identify as journalists, a couple of my coworkers sent me the article and were like, mm, I was just, you know, and I was like, yeah, like you just, it is, it's a sense of self that's, you know, I'm sure doctors feel the same way. Military feels the same way, right? Like you're definitely defined by it in a way that's not just a job when you're really in it for some period of time. I don't miss it, but that's because it was just so, it was so rough. It was so hard and it wasn't good for me. So would I do it? Like, I mean, shoot, if I like lost my job and I had to, of course I would, I would be calling stations and picking up ships, of course, but I'd be like really worried and really careful about and looking for the way out as soon as possible again, you know, because I know it's not a good setup for me. You're listening to News in Context. I'm Gina Valeria. We're talking with former Bay Area TV news producer Misha LeClaire about stress, trauma, and self-care in the news industry. And I actually had like a whole bunch of conversations when I got to Adobe and it was such a culture shift that I happened to find a manager and connect with. And we started going to lunches and I would call them my sanity check lunches. And I would ask all the weird questions because I was just so unnerved by how different the culture was that I sometimes didn't really know how to behave. Right. So like I'd say things like everyone's too nice. I can't tell if everybody's like mad at me behind their back. Everyone's too nice. Uh, Everyone's too quiet in meetings. They don't understand. Like nobody talks in meetings. And so then when I like, am I not supposed to talk to like, those kinds of things. Cause like, you know, editorial meetings are so crazy and everyone's talking over each other and you know, all this kind of stuff, all those little weird culture things that are just so baked into a newsroom that are just crazy town. And then you go into a professional environment and I did not know how to behave in some, I mean, I did, I wasn't like, but I just was so scared that I was screwing up all over the place and not even knowing it. I had a similar experience when I took my first job out of news. The first thing was, wait, you, you, leave for an hour every day and you actually just have lunch outside. Yeah. And actually eat. What? That Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. The other thing that happened to me is I would send these emails, your, your quick emails, because just get the work done, get the job done. Yes. Instead of these drafted. Yes. I'd be like, Hey, can you take care of this, this, and this? Thanks. One person I work with who was like, your emails are so curt and so rude. (laughs) And I'm like, what? What do you, what are you talking about? So I had to totally learn how to send emails that were, hi, how are you? I hope your day is going well. Um, by the way, hoping we can get this stuff. You know, like I had to learn a whole new way of communicating via email that just, I never learned in the newsroom because even if I'm reaching out to a source for an interview, it's like, you're, you're still not being flowery. You're like, Hey, we've got the story. I'd love to talk yep. to you. I've got five yep. minutes. Right. You know, so exactly. And, and people are reaching out to you. So Yeah. So I never did learn that until I left news. And then I learned how I learned a whole new way of communicating via email. Yeah. Now I send a lot of stuff. I'll draft it 
and I'll send it to somebody else to read first. Yeah. I'm also really working on like not responding to things immediately. I had like my year check-in, like my annual check-in with my manager last month. And he does a good job of always saying like, what can I do to help you more? And I was like, you need to tell me what's really urgent because I have 17 years of, if you tell me it's urgent, it's urgent. And so you have to be my barometer because my barometer is off. There was like a customer problem that came in late last week and I was like trying to get it out, you know? And he's like, no, it's okay. We're not releasing that today. And I was like, wait, what? What do you mean? <laughs> you know, like he just, I'm like, you have to be that barometer because if you tell me it's important, it's important. And I'm going to get it done now. You know, people will say about whatever job that's not news. Yeah. So busy. I'm so slammed. And I'm like, really? Am I doing it wrong? Oh, because oh, yeah. I don't feel that way. I feel like this is much easier than what I used to do. I had that conversation with that manager. That was one of the big conversations I had was um, it was really scary to me that it was comparatively so easy. Not the the work, the learn, you know, I was learning a lot and that was really hard, but the fact that people work eight hours and then just go home, the fact that um, people take a lunch, that really scared me. I thought I was not performing well. I thought that if I'm not putting in more hours and more intensity or whatever, um, I was really uh, freaked out about balancing, like trying to get on BART at the right time to pick up my daughter, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, why are you so, why is it not okay if it's easy? And I was like, it feels wrong. It feels like I'm screwing something up. It feels like that's not how it's supposed to be. And that's clearly something I'm messing up if it's too easy. And he was very like supportive about like, enjoy it when it's easy. Like, it's okay. Like you've worked really hard. Like gain PTO and holidays off, gain holidays off was like, oh, what is happening? Yeah, mind blowing. Yeah, mind blown. Yeah, but it feels so wrong to like take time off. Yes. It's very weird. It is very yeah, weird. It, it doesn't make sense. No. And I had a similar reaction and I and I'm told all the time you don't need to do so much. I you know, I started out by saying everything else seems so much easier compared to what we did in news. Even though I loved every minute of it, loved the intensity, loved the work. But to flip that, it's like how much are we overworking ourselves in a news environment? you know, to fulfill this mission of informing people. And in that sense, I really appreciate this self-care discussion because it is not a discussion that journalists have ever wanted to have. Years ago, you'd be looked at as, you know, let's be real. Let's say, oh, you're weak. You can't handle it. And it's like, that's not it at all. I love this job so much. I've got to care for myself to be able to do the job well. And I love that that sentiment has, has started to encroach yeah. that business historically good boundaries are not accepted like you were just saying and if you had a boundary about something you're looked at as being difficult not up to the task not capable the nursing thing is like really hard you know it's something that like women deal with that men don't like finding time to pump after you have a kid or whatever like that's like one of those things where it's like, you should absolutely have a clear boundary. There's like legal rules around it, but like, it's impossible to do on that job. I could not get away enough to do it. I straight up could not get away. I would try, I would try, I would try. I couldn't, I just couldn't. And then when you're gone for any amount of time, like I would go to the bathroom and I come back to my desk and there'd be three people standing at my desk saying, where were you? 
I need something from you, right? Like simple things like that. There's no real culture around letting people take care of themselves, even when it's like absolutely necessary like that. And then when you do step away to take care of yourself, it's like, where are they? You know, why are they gone? What's, what are they doing? Can't they just, you know, yeah, it's absurd. That and also the pace of news, right? It's like the show's got to start at this time. You got to get this stuff written. You got to get this graphic in. It's like, yeah, where is that moment in the day where you can go pump? Because that's a deadline, you know, yeah. that's going to happen during yeah. the time. And yeah. Or have lunch. Or have lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Lunch is like the obvious one for everyone. Yeah. Everybody eats at their desk. You know, everybody eats whatever random food shows up in the room. Yeah. I mean, I can't even tell you the number of times I was on the air for hours and hours and hours. And like, at some point, somebody walked in with a plate with like a slice of pizza and that was it. Right. Or I can remember not eating at all. Not that you didn't want to, but it was like that you get in there, things get super intense and then the day's ending and you realize, my God, I haven't eaten today. Yeah. In one of my jobs, we had a group of people who decided, oh, I am going to just stop eating newsroom food. And they lost so much weight just by not eating the newsroom food. Oh, totally. So why do you think, why do you think things have changed? I think the totality of this year in a lot of levels has actually like kind of cracked things open a bit. Like there's so much going on this year that, um, any person can only take so much. I mean, I suspect if you went back, went back and looked at things like, you know, correspondence covering certain wars, you might see a little bit more of that kind of like lifting the veil on, you know, where they become more of a person and not just a detached observer because there's been so much going on and it's constant and it doesn't stop. And it's um, not, you know, one month, it's for a year in a COVID George Floyd was murdered in May, right? It just keeps coming. The Trump administration, all these kinds of things, you wear anybody down at some point, they crack. I think there's also a bit of, because what counts as journalism, air quotes, journalism has been muddied. You're getting a lot more blurring of lines. And so you have people in these other mediums like Instagram or some podcasts who people who have self-appointed themselves as journalists. And so they are more personalities and less trained observers. And so you get a different um, storytelling and there's clearly more appetite for that. And so I think there's some of that where it's like people are okay with people being a little less detached. I think you have more people doubling down on, you know, the kind of people they go to for news. So like part of the reason people watch Fox News is they like the Fox News presenters and they want that personality. And so there's more of a tolerance for like who that person is. And then people kind of fan favorite align to whoever that is. Right. So I think you kind of have like this like soup of all these different pieces. And then the enormity of all the things isn't just like people are kind of cracking under the pressure, but also people are taking a stand. So like I found it really interesting to watch CNN over the last year. And at some point they just were like, we're going to use words that we would never have used before. Like enough is enough. This is the line. And we're calling it. And then when something happens like Sarah Seidner crying on air. And she's, you know, honest about it and writes about what was going on behind just that moment. People are more open to it because of all these different things. People still get their news for the New York Times, but a lot more people get their news somewhere else where it's like textured and people and opinion and all these kinds of things. So there's more of an appetite for it. I think it's all of that kind of stuff. 
kind of woven together, which is good and bad. Like I don't want people to be detached, but I want, you know, these standards of journalism because it makes a difference. I really appreciate that you tied it into every, all of the other trends that are happening because you, that that's a really insightful way of looking at it. I want also those journalistic standards to remain because as you say, we're trained observers and we need to hold power to account. We need to observe the world and share that back with people so that they can navigate their world. That role has to be there for a healthy society or right? for a healthy functioning society. And if we're going to break that down by focusing on opinion and sensationalism and uh, just my side, not your side, then things are going to break down. We're seeing them break down. In that context, how do we keep the journalistic integrity of the information that's coming to you? while also ensuring that the people who are providing that and doing that work can be cared for and can deal with the trauma that is ultimately going to be there because that's part of the job. Just like it's part of the job of a doctor, part of the job of a, of a law enforcement official or of a military official, you know, lots of different jobs, nurse. How do you deal with that trauma? And, and this is where um, I know that some professions have started doing that, um, but journalism is definitely not there yet. You know, now that we've cracked it open, as you say, we've got to start grappling with that. How do we maintain the integrity of what we're doing while actually caring for the people who are doing it? Absolutely. I mean, there are firefighters that end up with PTSD. There are clearly veterans that end up with PTSD, uh, but nobody wants to talk about like the impact that this stuff has on journalists. The traditional media sources are still working on doing a better job really explaining how we do our job. I think the public needs to know more and understand more um, because they assume that it's all kind of behind smoke and mirrors and it's all back to our handshakes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's, that's not the truth, but we don't, we don't kind of like let people in, you know, the conversations we have with each other one-on-one about like, no, 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 I called this person. They wouldn't talk to me or, you know, whatever it is. We have to share more of that. You see more of it than it used to be, but I think we could be much more transparent about how the work gets done to build trust with the audience that, you know, journalists are taking every step possible. And I think people have to accept their mistakes and when they miss something or whatever, but a lot of times people don't even realize that like you didn't miss it. It's that that person wouldn't return your call. You couldn't find the document, you know, whatever it is, these kinds of things, like even just acknowledging, I tried to find this, I tried to find that, but yeah, these kind of like requirements of like rigor, you know, I think have to be maintained. Otherwise, you can't trust anything, right? And I think in that examination and trying to communicate that, I also think that you also have to reckon with the self-care stuff. Yeah. And you can't like build trust with the communities you're trying to serve, right? And you're not going to be in a good position to um, do a good job with them if you're not taking care of yourself, right? Like, so if you're like, super rash, overstressed, overwork, really, you know, kind of abrupt with people because you're just trying to meet your deadline. But then you like go into somebody's home whose kid was just shot on the street. Like you're not going to be the best version of yourself to actually like take a minute, take a breath, be present, listen to them, you know, let them grieve, really take in their story. And like, you're not going to. And so then what that does is that just hinders those relationships with the communities even farther and makes it that much harder to report on them, that much harder to understand what's really going on in those communities. It ties back into the work. You know, journalists like to separate everything into boxes, but it all, you know, is wound up together. And if you're 
not in a restored state, then you're not going to be able to do a good job in those conversations. Anything else you want to say that I didn't ask you that you thought it was important to include? If there isn't a protection in place or you're not thinking about self-care and boundaries, it can be really easy to interpret all the pressures that are going on externally as like your fault or you're not measuring up or you're failing. And that's not the case when there's all these external, right? That's like the good boundary conversation again of like, there's this culture that is going to unintentionally or intentionally try and beat you down a bit because there's this culture of celebrating the hardiness that we all have. But if that doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean that you're screwing up. It means that the system is screwing up, right? Um, Because there definitely is that culture. So true. So true. And that's why it's important to sort of learn the stuff early. And so you can be prepared for it when it happens. Yeah, or recognize if you feel penalized for something that like, that's not you, that's not about you. That's like them set in their ways or broken system or whatever, just, you know, and it's hard. I mean, I get it. I still chose to quit my job. Thank you to my guest, Misha LeClaire, former Bay Area TV news producer who now codes for Adobe. Music in this episode includes Spring Fling by Track Tribe and The Heist by Silent Partner. In addition to hearing news in context every Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on KSFP 102.5 in San Francisco, you can hear it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Podbean, YouTube, and PRX. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at News in Context SF and on Instagram at News in Context. And you can find links to all of that at newsincontext.net. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening.